Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this special Mother's Day service with our dear friends, Pastor Johnny and Elizabeth Enloe. Thank you very much. It's a real privilege to be with you here on Happy Mother's Day and Happy Mother's Day to the mothers. And we're going to speak into that a little bit more. But first of all, my favorite mother, she's not my mother, but she's the mother of my children. I try not to be. <laughs> you ladies know how that is. It is really good to be with our Convergence family. I hope that the fact that we came here without Pastor Greg and Pastor Wendy here means something to you. It means we love you, not just them. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we were excited about the timing of it because we were headed up to uh, Reading yesterday or we came back from Reading yesterday after uh, one of our daughters graduated from... um, BSSM. BSSM. There we go. Trying a blank. And we have another one of our daughters here with us. Justice, stand up. Say hi. We're super excited because both Justice and our daughter Grace that just graduated are going to be coming on staff with our ministry. So we're about to be a a lean machine, lean ministry machine. Um. Some of you may not, we, we might not have ever met before, so I'll just tell you briefly a little bit about us, and Johnny's going to do the preaching today, Woohoo! and I'm so excited about what he's going to share with you guys. It's one of my favorite things he talks about, um, but Johnny and I were pastors in Atlanta for over 15 years, about five years ago, God uh, relocated our family to the LA area. And I'm originally from Alabama, which is why I don't sound like I'm from California. Johnny is originally from Peru, South America. His parents were um, missionaries there for over 50 years. So he's American, but he was born and raised there. So he speaks Spanish if anyone wants to speak to him in Spanish. Um, <laughs> Amen. There we go. Ya su nombre. One of the things that we are very excited about is um, what we've given our lives to, and it's, it's awakening and equipping and launching sons and daughters of God into every area of culture and validating um, what you do on the front lines every day of the week. And um, we kind of preached ourselves out of our own four walls of our own church that we had been pastoring because we have such a passion for that. So that's what we travel and speak about. It's what we um, write about. We have brought some resources with us. I'm going to give them away, and we're going to give them away to mothers today. All right? Um, and let's see how to quickly do this. This is uh, a really good quick read, but it's profound. It's called Becoming a Superhero, A Pocket Guide to a Life Like David. And this will just absolutely ignite you into um, overcoming the, what David overcame, the lion of rejection and the bear of insignificance. So when David showed up in the face of a giant that was coming against the armies of the living God, he knew who he was and he knew who the enemy was. And he easily overcame that because of the personal victories in his own heart and his own life. 
So um, anyway, I think Johnny's preached this message here before, so probably a lot of y'all already have this. Is there anyone that didn't get this? A mom in the house. Okay, right here on the second row. Happy Mother's Day. Enjoy that. And with that book, um, there are QR codes as well as um, the old-fashioned way. You can just type in the link to videos. So as you go through each chapter in the book, you can watch a five-minute video where Johnny and I kind of minister to you what you just read about and pray over you and kind of just, it's, it's really meant to be an encounter. Um, so that's that book. This one, um, you know, as I said, we have a passion to see people really placed and, and fully operating in the authority that we have as sons and daughters of God in every area of culture. And our language for that is the seven mountains. The seven mountains are media. So we've found that every single nation has all seven of those primary areas of culture. And we believe that those are not just areas of culture that we're, we got to survive. Those are areas of culture that were, were originally intended, ideally meant to be expressions of the heart of our God. And, and because of that, because we know our Father, we can show up in every one of those areas of culture and bring his solutions as a tangible expression of his love for us. So we're an interesting generation. We're, we're really beginning to awaken to this, and we get to show up in our areas of passion and influence and ask a really simple question and have really profound results. The simple question is, what does love look like expressed through you in that area of culture? And so it doesn't matter where you are, top of the mountain all the way and between to the bottom of the mountain. You have been created with purpose and with an assignment that's specific to who you are and, and the faces of God that you've seen and that you know you can bring an expression to in the areas of culture that you're passionate about. So we wrote this book called Rainbow God, The Seven Colors of Love. And it takes you on a journey where you take personal inventory. How did I experience each area of culture in its brokenness? And what potential lies did I believe about God that I'm continuing to perpetuate about him in, in the areas of culture. And we believe that as sons and daughters better have a more clear, correct perspective of who God is and his true heart for us, we're going to better display him. You know, we've taken to the world in these areas of culture a lot of judgment and a, and a lot of um, rules and a lot of finger pointing of what's wrong and what's not being done right or God's better way. And we've given to the world the God that we've experienced. But the cool thing is, is that we've got, as a generation, I believe like no other generation before, we have been given tools that have healed our hearts and our perspectives of what we think God thinks about us. And we're beginning to truly feel loved by him and feel like we matter and feel like we're seen. And because of that, we're saying yes to our assignments. And this is to help make sure that when you show up in your assignment, you are giving away 
a correct perspective of who God is as love, and, and you're, you're, you're off the hook for showing up in your career and in your areas of influence with an agenda. Because if they truly experience love who is a person and who is a force, then their hearts have been acclimated to receive the message of Jesus being our redeemer back to our father. So every aspect of that is good. Who wants rainbow God, the seven colors of love? Yes, right here with glasses. Come on up. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Okay. This next book I'm going to tell you about really quickly is called Renaissance. You are welcome. The Seven Mountain Renaissance, Vision and Strategy through 2050. Johnny may want to say more about this, but this is my favorite book that he's written. And he's written more than I've brought here. But um, The Seven Mountain Renaissance is... It's an interesting mix. I'm not like a real heady researcher type person, but I could not put this down. Johnny put so much research into this, and he he helps you understand um, our roots, spiritually our roots, and why we think like we think now, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he helps you understand kind of the trajectory that we've been on in the body of Christ and where that lands us now and where it positions us for generations to come. And then he takes chapter by chapter and he goes into all of the hot topic issues going on in each area of culture and helps you kind of go back to, now, why do I think what I think about this issue? And and helps you open up your perspective for some more options that aren't quite so black and white. Um, and it, it, it's, again, it's a journey. You will end up, by the end of this book, being in such a new, unique place with the Lord that will confirm places that you've been with Him. Uh, so, happy Mother's Day. Who would, yes ma'am, right back here, your hand went up quickly. <laughs> Now, Johnny and I are doing right now, we just started a webinar um, that is complimentary to this book. And it's a webinar that you have to register for. And uh, there is a registration fee. I'm not sure what it is because we're working with another um, company that's organizing that side of it for us. But if you go to Johnny's Facebook page... Um, or his Instagram, you should be able to find a link that you can click on that'll take you to a ministry called Empower 2000. Just put that in your head in case it looks like it took you someplace foreign. You know, it is on our webpage too, restore7.org, restore7.org. We just started it this week. And the way a webinar works, it's uh, new to some people, is you register for it. And if you can, you watch and participate live. So we teach from our living room. And um, we had our first one. But the good news is if you can't watch live, you can watch the replays and watch it at your own time in your own convenient place. Um, You can also just listen to the audio if you don't want to watch the video. And there are notes that you can have. Um, you get a free book of the Renaissance book with it. It's so, live, part of the 30 minute or so Q&A. Yes. So we have a Q&A at the end. Yeah. Okay. So Johnny might want to help me tell you about 
Um, This is a book that I'm excited about because I wrote it, and I've never brought it here to you guys before. Um, It just came out in November, and it's called God in Every Season. You may have it. You already got your hand up. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. God in Every Season was like percolating in me for a, a good 15 years. And um, the Lord showed me one day how the, the names of my four daughters, Happy Mother's Day, the names of our four daughters coincided with four specific seasons that my, my heart, my soul was going through in my relationship with God. And our daughters' names are Promise, Justice, Grace, and Glory. And he, he began to speak to me about, about winter promise, and how in the winter season of our relationship with God, and, and you know, let me just back up for a second. God very intentionally puts cycles and seasons into motion. We women know that in our very bodies <laughs> and in the earth. And, um, and you see it in nature all over the place. This was an idea that, that started in the heart of God because I believe that God himself is a God of cycles and seasons and we're made in his image. So, so it's a context in which to experience and to journey with him. Every one of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, has a relationship with God. And like all human relationships, it goes through seasons. And there are times when we, we feel closer to God than we do at other times. And it's, it's not always because something went wrong. In fact, most of the time, it's because God wants us to experience him in different ways so that we can experience different aspects of who he is and what he's like and what his heart is towards us. And so back to winter promise. You know, there are winter seasons in our lives where where he feels distant. But, but winter is, is that deepest, darkest point in the night where you can have the most intimate moments with him, where you're impregnated with the very thing that in a fall season, you're going to see and celebrate the fruitfulness of your relationship with him. And it's, it's knowing what season you're in is super important. Because if I'm in a winter season and I'm frustrated because I'm not seeing fruitfulness in an area of my heart or in an area of my career or in a relationship that's important to me, I can get really frustrated and maybe even mad at God when it has nothing to do with, winter is not about seeing fruitfulness. It's about something else. So what is it about? So I took the book and, and I just began to explore that with the Lord. I put in there, a test. And it's 11 questions long, takes about 10 or 15 minutes to take. And it, it's a diagnostic tool that scores you and it tells you what season your soul is currently in with God right now. And so you get to read the book, kind of knowing where you currently are, where you've just kind of transitioned from and where you're transitioning towards. And we get to meet God in those seasons with the same intentionality that he meets us with. So I'm really excited about the feedback I'm getting on the book. I think it's been an encouragement to the people that have read it. Um, it's not just for women. It's definitely something I believe that can benefit anyone. And I had a 16-year-old read it. wasn't my daughter, but another friend of hers. I told her, I will pay you $50 to read my book. 
she still has not read it, but <laughs> waiting for the next time she needs some clothes. Anyway, her 16-year-old friend read it and was very impacted by it. So it's also something that might be a benefit for young people in your life. Um, I wish that I had that understanding when I was much younger. Anyway, we love you guys. During worship, I was um, just feeling... I was feeling just the, I don't know what or how to describe it other than this, the mother heart of God. The mother heart of God is something that's very familiar to me because my mom uh, died when I was young. And I tell you, he is a mother to the motherless. And I just, I, I want to draw your attention to that because I just believe even through this time of Johnny um, sharing with you over the next few minutes, I, I want you to just consciously allow the mother heart of God to just love on you and be jealous over you and pull you close and speak words of compassion. And he is the perfect mom. I know a lot of people got a little irritated with the, um, what was that book? And then it, the movie came from it, The Shack. You know, and, 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 and they showed... Um, the character of God as, as, a, as a mom. But for me, that felt so familiar. And I love it how God has made himself relatable very intentionally in, in the ways that are the most foundational to our hearts. And some of you didn't have good relationship with your mom growing up. And, and I just love it how God can heal that place in our hearts, I, I think of the Holy Spirit as that mother part of God's heart who's just always with us, always ready to help us, always ready to speak the truth to us, always there to provide wisdom when we need it. It's all God. It's all him. But it, it, it just helps. He knew that we needed this nuanced difference of his expressions of love. So allow, allow that mother heart of God to just brood over you this morning as you're, as you're receiving. So thank you again for receiving us. We love you guys. Lots of familiar faces. And thank you for always making us feel welcome here. You can have that. I can have I needed it. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's better. Yeah, uh, Elizabeth's book there, Every Season of My Soul, has been, it has been doing so well, and it's been resounding not just with women but with men. And uh, you need to know that because everyone goes through these seasons with the Lord, and it's not just the season of your life but the season of your soul. And as she was saying or saying the equivalent of it. If, if you're looking for fruit when he's producing root, you can be frustrated with yourself and with him. And every season, there's a part of him that seems to pull back. But when that does, it means there's another aspect of who he is 
ready to be accessed. And so it really helps us in our walk with the Lord to be uh, aware of that and walking with that. Well, I'm excited about sharing with you. Actually, I didn't tell my wife too much about what I was sharing. This is not a message I've actually ever preached anywhere. Uh, <clears throat> you knew it was going to have to do with women, and I do speak on that, uh, the themes we put them in on different at different times, and so that part is true, and, and you'll have heard uh, some of the themes, but I couldn't not speak on, on women on Mother's Day, but in light of the season we're in, not just in the body of Christ, but in the world overall. You know, it, it, is, uh, it is such a new day. It's like a, a line has been drawn in the sand, this whole Me Too movement. And there was like a day that it was determined that uh, from this day forward, women's voice gets believed more than it used to. And, um, and so it has created an amazing ripple effect. You know, people, powerful people, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby. The real deal is not that these, and we don't want to keep mentioning all the names, and we're not going to overly demonize them, though it's clearly horrible what the testimony is that's come out about who they've been. It's really not about the, the Me Too movement's not the discovery of men doing bad things like that, taking advantage, people in power, but it's really, it's about finally coming to grips with the reality that women's voice has not been listened to. And because that's what's been the case, that's that's the reason the other has had the freedom to go on and on and on is because there has been uh, just an ignoring in the case of, again, Bill Cosby, 62 women it takes for him to get a preliminary uh, conviction of some sort. And uh, Harvey Weinstein, there's over 100 names, I think, now, and it requires, you know, it's, it's not just a he said, she said, well, I wonder if she's lying. It's like there's you're not going to have scores and scores of them lying. Anyway, we even have it coming out in the movies, whether you liked it all perfectly for theology or not, movie like Wonder Woman. And uh, what was amazing about that, it was uh, directed by a woman as well. And so it did the best of any woman-directed movie in history, and it presented uh, a powerful woman from a woman's perspective as well. And so there was... It didn't allow even for the normal um, ogling of women in the, in, in the movie, you know? And so there's just like something has shifted, something has changed. And, um, and unfortunately, often we're, the church is the last place to make the adequate shift and change. And so it is, it is something that's happening in the body of Christ as well. And, and in that, I think it's just only appropriate in, in recognizing, again, I usually speak out of a prophetic perspective, prophetic perspective of what's taking place worldwide, something specifically released in the United States. There's this theme of justice going on. And, and uh, in this, and it's so much, justice is, is not about vengeance, you know. It's about a wrong being made right. It's about crooked paths being made straight. And, and, a great injustice of a voice, the voice of women not being heard to the degree it should have. And so, of course, as we're bouncing back into what's, I say bouncing back, we've never been there properly, as woman's place and a woman's voice gets restored properly to society, there are, of course, 
extreme um, aspects of that that happen in different scenarios, those are designed, of course, to not allow the shift and change to take place overall. But it is going to happen. It is taking place. And so I think sometimes we just have to be remembered. uh, And really what I want to share for just a little bit uh, today about is Jesus and women. And, and perhaps some things that you, uh, that some of you didn't know, I don't know, we'll just jump into it and let that be decided by what comes out. First of all, we want to realize that in Jesus' time, the Jewish culture of the first century, it's so different, it was so different uh, than today. You have to understand uh, you can get a better sense of the religiosity of the day Jesus was in if you go to Jerusalem, if you've been in Israel recently, because it's almost, I remember the first time I went to Israel years ago, it was like head scratcher that that much religiosity still existed. And it gave me an idea of Jesus' day, how things were. But for instance, you'll, you'll observe the daily prayers being made in Jerusalem even now. But women were not, uh, they didn't, they didn't do the daily prayers. It's only important if the men did the dailies, the daily prayers, and um, and there was uh, the Jewish culture. Not only did not value, uh, they disvalued women even being uh, educated or trained in any way. There was the famed Rabbi Eliezer who said, "Rather should the word of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman." And so in the temple in Jerusalem, the woman, women were restricted to the outer court. In the synagogue, they were separated from men and not permitted to read aloud. Uh, in a religious court, women could not bear witness. They could not testify. They're, you know, they didn't, it, it didn't pass the muster as being uh, legitimate enough even to, to be a witness. Uh, women were not allowed to study. I, I brought that up. They were... Uh, they were Women were not required to pray every, every day. Divorce, a man could divorce a woman for no real reason. He'd just write a writ of divorce, and that was it. She was not, she did not have a right to divorce. Under no, under no instance could a woman divorce a man. And she didn't have property or inheritance in general. It would be really only if it's uh, directly under a father or husband that gives, gives it to her. And so this, this is the environment that Jesus came into, and he was an absolute revolutionary. In fact, it, it was so hard for that day and age, even his disciples, to understand how differently he thought of women that sometimes it's not even reported correctly. And we really need to get this straight today because some have said, well, if women were so special, how come they weren't one of his 12 disciples? And, and uh, there's some just really practical reasons for that. You know, Jesus was 30 years old. His disciples were in their 20s. And even today, it's not the best uh, idea to have single men having women disciples following them around. And so there's a practical aspect of it that was in place. And furthermore, because of this culture that prevailed, there is no way fathers, brothers, uncles, and whoever were going to allow women to follow them around. And, and so that's, you have to see it that way rather than anything to do with value. Um, so, and we're just going to look at a, a few scriptures. And so uh, Luke, let's open the book of Luke, tells a lot of good stuff. And uh, Luke chapter 7, and we just want to address some of the specific um, changes 
he brought a new way of thinking. And you need to know, he brought new ways of thinking that just were, were really stunning his own disciples. And, and then when we get to Paul, we don't even have time to, to address Paul's writings. Paul's writings are, are basically have been used to keep women suppressed for ever since he wrote them. And uh, it's the reason the church has been behind even society in, we'll say, emancipating or valuing women the way they're, they're supposed to. But if you understand, what happens is even that, and I'll recommend, if anybody wants, it's not that it's uh, thoroughly exhaustive and the best ever, but even on Paul, there's, a, there's an author named John Temple Bristow, and he wrote a book called What Paul Really Said About Women. And what's good about that is he, he essentially points out that the way the translators, they, they had some assumptions they could not get over. And so that if you read the language Paul wrote it in, there is no doubt that he, was, he had been influenced by Jesus and he was a radical uh, liberator of women. He, he, he's the one that said, in Christ there's neither male nor female. And um, he had among his... He called Junia, one of his apostles, Priscilla and Aquila, and the name Priscilla when it said first. These were people, he would speak of women. How can you be an apostle and not allowed to speak in church? Like you do sign language or whatever. So there, there's some misunderstanding of things he said. And, and miss, uh, the translators just totally missed some things because the prevailing mindset was just like, women can't be that valuable. They can't be that. See, this is, this is on the, on the uh, even Jesus' day was after the, the Greek society, the Greek philosophers. I don't know if, you've, if they let you really read into the, or, you know, discover that when you're in college or whatever, uh, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, uh, they were just the worst. Uh, chauvinist would, is not even a proper word for it. But their perspectives on women, um, I, I think one of them said something to the effect, well, men and women are basically, I think it was Socrates, men and women have the same pursuits, but in all of them, men are superior and women are inferior. And, and so it was like just something that, that direct. And so there, there's been this... Century after century after century of women's place and role being devalued in such a way that when somebody comes with this radical, Jesus just introduced a whole new way of being. And so it's just, it just wasn't believable. They just couldn't make the shift and change. And so they, they had to, they made adjustments in even the words that are being said. You know, even the, the scripture, Ephesians 5, 24, so let a wife be subject to her husband as the church is subject to Christ. And that word subject, and you go into these, these words and the way they're used, it's, it's not intended that way. But just think about how is the church subject to Christ? What Christ says everywhere, he's like, here are your gifts, here are your callings, you need to arise, you need to be this. It's never be a robot. It's never, hey, keep your mouth shut and obey. There is nothing about Christ in his church that's ever keep your mouth shut and obey. I'll do the thinking for you. None of that ever. The Holy Spirit is within you. Here are the gifts. Here's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's apostles, prophets, and women can be any of them. So whenever we start getting, it's just beyond a shame that the church has been the vehicle for oppressing the voice 
and the place of leadership of women throughout history because of misrepresentation, misinterpretation, even of the writings of Paul. So we want to see that even Paul, if you properly understand it, he was actually pro the release of women. But I've always said even above that, if we're going to, if we're going to go to the scriptures and use the scriptures to make points about whether women have a position of leadership or not, let's prefer Jesus's words above Paul's words. So you don't even have to argue about that because Paul is a disciple of Jesus. And so Jesus is the one who carries. So anyway, we want to see that now in light of the standards and norms of the day we're talking to you, there is the story in Luke 7 where um, this, this is, again, we're just going to read different ones about Jesus interacting with women. You have to understand, they, they were not even to be noticed. It was a husband did not talk with his wife in public. Men were not to stop and talk with women in public. That was the norm of the day. You don't do that. And it was also the norm. Men don't even talk with their wives in public. You talk at home and, and it does not happen. So verse 11 of Luke 7, it happened the day after that he went to the city called Nain and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And behold, he came near the gate of the city. Behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow and a large crowd from the city was with her. This is just an amazing line. When the Lord saw her, that right there just violated normal protocol, that a man would be seeing the woman. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. And he touched the open coffin. Young man, I say to you, arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. There's this whole thing. He noticed a mother and noticed a mother's pain. And he returned her son that had died to her. And so there's this, uh, the fear came on and they glorified God. A great prophet is risen among us. And we think it was about the miracle. Well, it is, but it's also it's, it's uh, implicitly also about how he's prioritizing a woman. In fact, Jesus, I believe the, the gospel show us raising three from the dead and two of them, he raises them and gives them to either their mother or their sister. It was like there was something he was, the, the reality of that day is everybody's in tune with the men's pain. What does it feel like to the men to have someone die in his household? He looked at, how the women felt regarding who had died. And so two-thirds of his resurrections that we know of were connected to him seeing the woman in that picture. So that's just important. Now, um, again, it was already a violation of norm for him to talk to a woman in public. And so this is part of the stuff we're not, we're not even used to seeing and understanding is that he was going out of his way for that as well. Luke chapter 13 Verse 10, he was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Again, this line. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, there are six days, and this and that and the other. So we've always understood it, that he was upset because he's a religious dude, and he's healing on the Sabbath. 
But it's clear as well, especially if you understand the culture of the day, the fact that he's healing a woman on the Sabbath, like the attention given. She's been ignored. She's been there for 18 years, and they've been ignoring her. He cannot ignore them. And then verse 16, he calls them hypocrites, that on the Sabbath they will loose his ox or his donkey from the stall, lead it away. So not this one, verse 16, Jesus in his response to the ruler of the synagogue, again, the religious leaders of the day. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. But here was what is not often noticed is that they were used to the terminology son of Abraham, everybody knew. Been used over and over and over. Nobody had ever used the terminology daughter of Abraham. And it caused there to be a whole rejoicing in the people that were following as well. He said, she is a daughter of Abraham. He put her at the same level as sons of Abraham. So he's again, he's, he's not just showcasing the miraculous. He's defying the norms of the day and putting women at equal value at all times with men. That's why he doesn't have any, and women do this, men do this. He never differentiated between them in any, any of his, uh, his, his messages or discussions at all because they were both entitled to equal, uh, equal privilege before God. They were his sons, they were his daughters. And so that statement of she's a daughter of Abraham was a big deal. Very well known, so we'll just tell you about it a little bit. John 4, I say well known. Jesus and the woman, the Samaritan woman. And again, we want to look at it from the norms of the day that he is violating. We hear that they didn't, we know they didn't get along with the, with the Samaritans, that the Jews didn't get a, a, along with them. But he was ignoring at least two specific codes of behavior when he's talking with the Samaritan woman when he meets her at the well. And, and she points that out as well when she says in verse... Verse 6-7. The woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Then the woman, verse 9, then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then it goes on. We don't, we don't have time to uh, uh, do the whole story. You, you know about it. The story is, you know, she tells him, uh, he tells her that she's been married and she's been married several times before. And so she goes into town and, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 17. You have well said, I have no husband, the last part of 17. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she goes on to tell that, the fathers worshiped on this mountain. Jesus says, believe me, the hour's coming when you'll neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And 
God is looking for true worshiper. God is a spirit. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. There are several, several just remarkable uh, realities from here. Again, the, the specific norms, she is, uh, he is not to be talking with a woman in public. He is not to be, they're not to be interacting the Jews with the Samaritans anyway. And then if you understood the ritual uh, purification codes of the day, the bucket that she would be giving him water is, uh, is, is considered ritually unclean. And so he's asking her for something that the Jews all considered ritually unclean. He was going to take water from her. And then she goes and tells the whole city. And it, there's a whole other story. Uh, there, I mean, there's so many stories within stories just on this one alone. If we had gone back and read verse 4 even. But he needed to go through Samaria. He was going somewhere, but all it says is he needed to go through Samaria. And he needed to go through Samaria to break some norms, to put value on the Samaritans, to put value on a Samaritan woman, to put value on her voice and what she says. And then the other um, uh, just amazing reality, what we just read, he actually reveals his Messiahship to this woman before he does he doesn't do it in the temple, the synagogue. He doesn't do it to the high priest, the chief. He doesn't even do it to his 12 disciples. He reveals himself to this woman. He tells her, I am the Messiah. The first time he says it, it's to a woman. So he's, he's breaking norms of the day. He's putting value on a woman. And then he's making his own point, you could say, when she goes into town Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified it. He told me all that I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay two more days. Many more believed of his own word than they said to the woman. Now we believe not just because you told us, but because we have heard for ourselves. So we see an entire city is touched because a woman who was considered to be, uh, you know, non-interactable, not important to the kingdom. He said she's important and he's kind of making a point. Look what happens when one woman gets valued, a whole city comes to the Lord. So that was some of Jesus' stuff that's pretty cool. Um, then it should be pointed out, verse 27 there. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. You just need to stop and chew on that one for three weeks. Why are his disciples marveling that he talked with a woman? Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They're just on their own. They're like, what? what? He's acting like women are important. Yeah. <laughs> and it violated all kinds of things. So this was, he was a revolutionary as it relates to gender matters. You just need to be aware of that if you hadn't. Uh, Luke chapter 8, a couple more. Also well known, starting in verse, 
Well, let's just look at verse one. This is a different part of it. Now, it came to pass after that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, and by those others, it means women, if you look at it originally, and many other women who provided for him from their substance. So it makes, it just... Uh, it just points out, you know, there's a lot of women following him. So this, again, was, uh, was unheard of in the day. It's out of norms. The women are not supposed to be following the men. They were following. They were his disciples. They weren't the 12 specifically that lived with him and, and, and uh, were in close proximity because that would have just been improper. But they were following him. They were providing for him from their substance. And so somehow, even though they weren't even allowed to have uh, a, a legally resources, they were, uh, they were taking it anyway. And, you know, we don't know the rest of the story. We want to hear Susanna, Susanna's and Joanna's story later on, what all they were doing. But again, it's putting, putting uh, just noting that women were a part of, they knew here's someone who frees them up. Women aren't going to be following somebody who continues to enforce the code that they're secondary citizens in, in life, in the kingdom. And so this is what was taking place. Then verse, uh, There became a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had only an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying as he went, and multitudes thronged him. So he ends up healing the daughter as well. There's, it's just noted when you look through how many women, daughters, and even how many parables he tells. There was a certain woman, and there's, there's, there's different parables that he tells of women. It was like it was just... It was just blowing the mind of everybody around there, just how he continued to put them in his stories and his miracles and everything, as if they were just equal. And now a woman, verse 43, having a blood of, uh, flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Again, ritually, if for you to be touched by a woman in that condition, you were now unclean. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And he didn't just allow it to happen. He didn't allow it just sneak out like, okay, she got her healing. She's like, I just want to keep low prof profile. If they knew, you know, the way our culture is and ritual, this and that and the other, we're supposed to be a, a part we can't be here. And Jesus is like, no, he's making, he wants everyone to know that there's no embarrassment for women if they have this problem. He touches, he heals them. He wants, he wants this noted in the scriptures forever. And he says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then he heals Jairus' daughter. Only believe she'll be made well when you get their little girl arise. But again, the, the stories he has put in here over and over, of women, girls, sisters, Luke 7, 36 through 50, he has the story of the woman. She's known to be really the sinful woman. What says, verse 37, a woman in the city who was a sinner, 
When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Most likely a prostitute. And she's the one that anointed him for burial and he allowed that to happen he wanted that story out there again over and over and over the value not just of the elite women who have resources and could do something but at all level those who are sick those who are troubled those who are prostituted you know the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery he missed an opportunity to make his statement to the nation yes adultery is wrong thou shalt not commit adultery he let them misquote him, misperceive him. He chased off the religious leaders and he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Then he chased with that. They all ran away. He said, woman, where are your accusers? They're not here. He goes, neither do I condemn you. I know what happened to conspire to put this where you had to step into what you're doing. Go and sin no more. It was an empowerment statement. And so over and over and over, he is breaking the norms the paradigm, the thinking of that day. And we need to know that's who he is. It's why the women loved him. It's why they still do. It's why there's still more of them in church in general. But. All right, we got to wind this down. There's a whole other insight. You know the story of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We won't have you read it. You know the story, but it's like, remember Mary was sitting at his feet and Martha's in the kitchen and Martha's kind of begrudging. Why is she that doing that? And he said, she has cho chosen the better part. Well, it's bigger than, than, than just how we've understood it before. The specific positioning at the feet, the way it's described in the scripture, positioning herself at the feet of Jesus is the way a disciple positioned himself before his rabbi. And no woman ever did that in those days. It was unheard of. It's not the way it happened. And he's like, woman, women have the right to be trained, educated, and she has chosen the better part. Because you're not just supposed to, they already knew about being in the kitchen. He's like, you already got that part. This, you are valuable for being instructed and for being able to carry life in the kingdom in different ways. So he was breaking all the norms of the day. At the cross, when he's going, it talked about the women that followed him. I'll just look at Mark fifteen forty one. I'm just hoping as I read every one of these that I just feel like in the spirit, some web is being pulled off, like especially you, you women and any men that were applying those webs, they're being removed from your bag of tricks or whatever. <laughs> it 
Verse 40 of Mark 15. There are also women looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So he was like, he had disciples. And, you know, he, there was a time he released 70 more. There was 120 acts. It doesn't tell us who, uh, who was there. But women were part of all these processes. They were part of interacting with him, ministering to him, even taking care of him, being valued by him in every way. So remembering the obvious he was born of a woman. <laughs> Heaven was spliced into earth. The divine spliced into humanity through a woman, not through a man. He never had teaching specific for women versus teaching for men. Nor gifting. The women who followed him to the end... The ones who did were women. The first one there, the first ones there when he resurrected were the women. Matthew 28. He tells the women to tell the disciples they will see him in Galilee. And you can look at Luke 24, 11. The disciples don't believe the women. They're just still, they're still learning. They don't believe the women. And so, and then Luke 24, 22 through 24, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they doubt women's story as well. Until it's revealed to them. And again, all his parables, he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman stuck in. He's using women parables, women parables, stories about, and they're like, why is he telling that kind of stuff? <laughs> He's saying women have gifts, leadership. They're valuable. They can be... There's to be educated, responded to, trusted, cared for. His favorite resting place, no doubt, nobody doubts the scriptures, Mary Martha's house. Somehow they have, you know, we don't know if there's some parent. We don't know the other rest of it, but that's where he likes to be, Mary and Martha's house. And that's his favorite place. His best resting place is with them. So just as we head to a ministry time here, again, I want to point out, that we need to, for sure, as the church, stop being those that continue in any way to put limitations on the sphere of leadership, whether in church or out of the church, that a woman can exercise. And even see the example, so many of these stories, again, like the one we gave, it's like as he released one woman, the Samaritan woman, a whole village comes to the Lord because of that. And it really is, uh, it is amazing what is going to happen in these days as women get fully freed up, released into all they're called to do and be. And uh, it's, it's going to be amazing. Again, even Paul's writings, I was telling you, that was misrepresented, misunderstood. You have to understand that in our own nation, women have been progressive, have been oppressed I don't know what other word to use since for hundreds of years, and it's been the church behind it. It wasn't the atheists. It was the church. It was a religious spirit, the same thing that works on the Pharisees and all that. And it worked and it, all the way, you know, back in 1660, June of 1660, there was a Quaker 
preacher, female preacher named Mary Dyer. She was executed in this nation, in Boston, overseeing the whole process, overseen by the Christian Puritan governor and pastor and all that. Why is she executed? Because she wouldn't stop speaking and preaching. And women were not allowed to preach because of Paul's writings that they misunderstood. And she was also because she was a supporter of a woman, Anne Hutchison, who was banished by the colony, thrown out. Ultimately, her death was because of that. And her great sin, and there was just scores of women that had severe, uh, there were other martyrs, there were ones that had severe beating. Mary Dyer had already come with four other women before, and they had been stripped publicly and beaten because they said God spoke to them as well. And, and that was Anne Hutchison's great sin is that she said God spoke. He didn't have to just speak through the clergy or through your husband. He did speak directly to women. And those kind of, we don't realize that kind of stuff has just carried on. The, the gender discrimination has, it came out of religiosity, religious spirits, Pharisee spirits in the church. And used the Bible, it was using the Bible. Susan B. Anthony, she was a Quaker minister. Again, this came out of if my book, Renaissance, will explain a lot of this to you as well. I tell you about two Judeo-Christian roots, a good one and a bad one. And we get them mixed up. They've been contending with each other for 400 years in our nation. And there is uh, George Fox is kind of the spearhead person for one. And John Calvin, we could say for the other. But George Fox is the one. He was a liberty. As I was shown by the spirit, there is that of God in everyone. And it just, it's just in Christ, in the anointing, there is neither male nor female that Paul talked about. And it's biblical and scriptural here as well. But there's been, uh, we've had, uh, back to Susan B. Anthony, you know, she was thrown in prison in 1872, I think it was, for voting in a presidential election. She had to wait till after she was dead in 1906, 1920. 1920 women were given the right to vote. But in 1872, when she voted, she's thrown in prison and she is harassed. It is the church, almost unanimously, the church leaders of that day said she is destroying the institution of marriage. Women, it wasn't this, they weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to own property. They weren't allowed to get the divorce. It had to, if, if the men, they, you know, inheritance, all these things, these have been something, this is, it's like the last century where this is just finally beginning to go the way it's supposed to. And the devil is, you know, scared to death of what is being released now fully. And so there's nothing like Mother's Day for us to uh, remember how much our Lord valued and treasured mothers, how he looked for them after them. He, you know, even at the cross, he was saying, John, help take care of my mom. And there was just his own, it, it was his own heart towards mothers, but it was women in general. And, um, and we, want to, um, we want to be aware of that. We want to be those that properly uh, uh, release, support, and, 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 you know, I also, the book Elizabeth mentioned, um, Becoming a Superhero, a Pocket Guide to a, a Life Like David, uh, I just believe there are really the superheroes. It's amazing because, again, society is picking up on an aspect of God even better than the church. So the last, I don't know when it started, seems to me like five years ago. It used to be, uh, uh, you know, the first time there was a superhero where, where there's a woman that could really 
uh, what should we say? She could kick tail. Uh, she was tough. It was like, wow, that's hardly believable. But it's so common now. You know, movie after movie after movie, they can take on 10 guys by themselves. They can do stuff. It's like, wow, it's a whole new perspective. It's like if we don't get it from the church, it's going to come out on the screen somewhere. But there really is uh, an empowering of, of those made in his image. If you remember, God made man in his image, male and female equals his full image. And so that's, that's what Satan's scared of is it coming, the, the, you know, the fullness of his image being showcased through us. And so I'm just going to ask you to stand with me because time ran out. I didn't run out of message, just ran out of time. <laughs> but I really do feel like there is something that the Lord has of release. You know, the Lord's had, you know, he's made it very clear for me that one of my assignments is to make sure women are released and emancipated. He's given me a wife who's got a message, got a voice, and it's supposed to be released. And I have four daughters, no sons, daughters. <laughs> and uh, I have six sisters uh, as well, one brother, six sisters. And so it's like uh, the assignment becomes clear there. And <laughs> And there's something so, I don't know where it is, it's in, it's in, the, it's in the air, the atmosphere, there's something so toxic uh, for women, even in society. We, f- our own, we fight these things, we're finding out so much. You know, our daughter Justice has gone through a lot and had to have a, a surgery, uh, we'll just say it like an endometrial-related surgery, and we find out women had just been keep, I didn't realize until we went through all the stuff with her, how common that is and all over the place. Oh yeah, we went through that. We went, we did a half and they just have to like, it's like the, the woman with an issue of blood, just keep quiet and have your own extreme excruciating pain and, and you'll deal with it. And then you have a, a governmental healthcare system that doesn't properly even accommodate it and doesn't want to have insurance cover it because no, it's probably, you know, you go look at, they finally eliminated it from most of their language, but it's well, it's probably in her mind and this, and it's like, are you out of your mind? This is not just in her mind, but there are things like, there's so many women suffer things from thyroid and everything to do with whatever. There's an attack, ovaries, uh, uh, uterus, reproductive area is under assault. It's not just through abortions. They're like, there's all kinds of women losing the ability to reproduce. And there's like, I'm like, what is this attack? I'm, I'm just, it's like every day we find out somebody else is going through that. I'm like, what in the world? Is this such a toxic world that, that they, they can't even, it's like, it's, the, it's, it's mystery. They still have to say, okay, there's part diet, part this, part in the other. But I'm just saying that has to shift and change. And we, the church have to be champions of that. And uh, I believe this house is called to be a house where women's voice are, is champion set free. Uh, uh, um, and, and there's something, I don't know why it's been stronger in the Bay Area, like even in Los Angeles, maybe because Amy Semple McPherson so violated, uh, you know, men were like, ah, this woman is anointed, has the power of God, and she's doing all these innovative things. And we were just doing salt conference there last week, couple weeks or a week ago. And, and I think she, she, you know, opened up a trail and she had to put up with amazing stuff. But we need some powerful women of God 
you know, not in a, uh, I'm going to prove, that's what, that's what we like about the David book. David didn't, I'm going to prove to Saul that I'm going to prove to my brothers. I'm, there's no proving. It's like, you just know who you are. And so you know who you are and you're not trying to prove or break or, you know, you just, but I am not going to be less than what I was called to, to, to do. I'm going to showcase my full kingdom footprint because that's why I was released here on planet earth. And, and so I just feel like there's healing today as well, physical healing as well. But I want to invite, you don't have to if you don't want to, but this is Women's Day. So men, you're going to be there from support. But I want to just pray for the women. And uh, if you'll come up, and Justice and, and Elizabeth, you want to lay hands on them too as they come up or whatever you feel you can receive or, or, or give or, or say. But I just want to invite, I feel like there is a freedom. I want to make sure... I believe the message has already done an impartation to set you free into being all you're called to be. And, uh, but I feel like there's healing physically for you, healing for wombs. I think that was a, uh, just the right word uh, this morning as well, that, you know, if you want to have babies, there's, there's that to be released on you as well. Hannah, she already released that to you, but Hannah could be... Yes, she's hands laid on on uh, for for having babies, but we want our women released into all their call to be. And so you are you literally cause the gates of hell to shake, and they are done everything imaginable to stop you. I just, I want to tell you what you already know, but I just feel like the Lord wants to speak it into your core. You don't have to look or sound like anybody else to walk in the fullness of who you were created to be. And that is the beautiful, powerful thing of us as women being fully who we were created to be in the earth because we carry that. Your voice matters. And what your voice was uniquely created to look like and sound like and what it's created to say, the things that you, that you have authority to say because of what you've been through and the, the aspects of God that you know only you can say them. And every one of you were created to be a mother to the nations. Right from where you sit. And this is a house of convergence. And every single one of your stories and all that you've been through has made you an expert on God. You're an expert on him. Even if your relationship with him is just beginning today. Because he's been walking with you before you drew your first breath. And you are beautiful. And you are powerful. And you are important. And you are so important that you cannot afford the luxury of allowing what you've been through to define your value and your importance. We were created to give 
value importance and importance away. Which is why that gets shut down in us. Because if we don't know it for ourselves, how will we give it away? So know it and believe it above your feelings and above the lies of what you've been through. We are going to rule and reign for eternity as women, as feminine expressions of who our God is. Your femininity and your particular version, your unique version of your femininity is never going to be away from you. You will take it with you into eternity. It's not like the thing that's going to be stripped off of you. That's why it's bigger and greater than your sexuality. So just as a mom, I just want to express that over you and allow that to just soak into your core throughout the rest of this day. You're valuable. You're important. You're significant. Your voice is needed. And have fun discovering your voice. It's going to change throughout the years. It'll look different and sound different, and that's okay. Celebrate whatever it is right now in each other and in yourself. So I invite any of the men, if you're comfortable, just to fill in the, just be there, just like support uh, for them. It's Mother's Day. You know, your hand's uh, behind them. But if you don't mind, just coming out of the aisles. Yeah, you're just there like, you're like in the spirit saying, you go, girl. Um, in fact, we might, you know, we might finish it all with a very holy, you go girl. But, um, but yeah, just allow the, the Holy Spirit to awaken you at a deep place and, you know, standing in the gap of whatever minister or husband or man that's ever shut you down before. I just ask you to, I stand in that gap and I say, please forgive me on behalf of of them for not realizing the value of your voice of your feeling your thoughts the way you experience life and just, yeah just forgive me on behalf of them holy spirit i thank you for what you're doing this morning in this place i thank you lord for the value of your daughters when I hear the Lord saying, tell him again, I need your voice. I need your voice. Your voice is valuable to me. Your voice is valuable. Your thoughts are valuable. Your opinions are valuable. Your feelings are valuable. Your moods are valuable. Men, we act like we're not, but then we go to Six Flags and we want to go up and down and all over the place and we act like we don't want to go up and down. (laughs) Experience life to the fullest. Holy Spirit, would you just sweep through this room even right now? Would your breath come through here right now and just ignite your daughters in a new way? (laughs) For such a time as this, let your power come to bear in this place. Would you set this group free? Do something unprecedented. 
We're no, we're in that, we're in that time. We're in that year. The world is noting something has been decreed from heaven. A line has been drawn in the sand. No more. No more mistreatment of my daughters at that level. Fire of God, come in, release you. I mean, I'm just seeing in the spirit when his daughters are fully released, there is all kinds of things. You know, pornography is going to be suffocated off the face of the earth. Daughters are going to demand that. It's not going to be a religious church thing. It's just going to be, this is just valuing women properly. Lord, awaken things in your daughters here. Awaken, 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 awaken things from your heart that are already in their heart. Jesus, Jesus. And I ask, Lord, right now that there would be a healing wind that goes through this place right now. Whoever is struggling with what's called female problems at all, ovaries, anything to do with the reproductive area, anything to do with the thyroid, in the name of Jesus, let healing be released. Right now, right now, healing be released. Pain go away. Thyroids be repaired. Ovaries be repaired. Endometriosis. In the name of Jesus, you cease and desist from advancing. Healing, healing, healing. Those who are wanting children haven't been able to have them. Let there be fruit now in the name of Jesus. Let there be light. Just break all curses, resistance, toxicity against the wombs, natural wombs, spiritual wombs. The enemy is afraid of your spiritual womb. Dreams of God in you are producing amazing, are going to produce even more amazing innovations in every area of society. Lord, I thank you. Many here are called to awaken to such creative innovation in so many areas for all the seven mountains and media and education and government and the economy, the church as well, Lord, but in every area of society, these are your daughters that I thank you from this day forward. They are empowered in a new way. Hear the Lord say, from this day forward, he's given you turbo, turbo, turbo. Now, guys, if we can raise our voices and let's do that. You go, girl. Let's do this in the spirit. One, two, three. You go, girl. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.